and then the lockdown happened and during lockdown we saw an incredible trend an explosion in retail investing around the world so us has added 10 million new accounts in 15 months india where we are very active has added 18 million new accounts uk has added 4 million new accounts so and these are first time investors ganesh data artificial intelligence the metaverse crypto and web3 and quantum computing are just a few of the technology innovations that are changing the way we live work and experience the universe i am your host ganesh padmanabhan and this is stories in ai a podcast where we explore the various facets of technologies like ai its impact on individuals organizations and the society you will hear from a variety of experts and practitioners their personal stories their best practices and advice to put technology to work i hope you enjoy this engaging conversations now before we begin a note about our sponsor this episode is sponsored by experian whom you may know as the consumer credit bureau but they are at heart a data company when you're buying a car or home sending your kids to college or borrowing to grow your business experian is most likely helping you behind the scenes they unlock the power of data to make better decisions get access to financial services and to prevent crime unlocking a whole world of opportunities for individuals and organizations find out more at experian.com welcome to stories in ai how are you today i'm very good ganesh delighted to be here and talking to you after a long time i know it's it's a, such a pleasure and i get to actually reconnect and have this chat plus i get to record and put you on the show so the world can watch it's awesome so thanks for taking the time again why don't we just get started with your personal story tell us your background your story and how you got into straddling the world between finance and ai Gosh, in my 41 years of uh, 41 years career uh, i've spent a lot of time in financial services i've also spent a lot of time in technology and even though i'm not a technologist i am very interested in how technology can be applied in financial services now and uh, it is for this reason when i was running the global wealth business at barclays i got very interested in use of ai and how it could actually change many things in wealth management and uh, that's the reason i set up bridgeview uh, i set up the company when i was 60 so it wasn't uh, one of those 25 year old entrepreneurial things but um, uh, i think ai can make a major major difference if it is used intelligently no that is you know you're so so right and we were just talking about this before we started recording this which is the market has actually seen there was a lot of hype back like 10 15 years ago when we were working together uh, on in initial time of ai right where people were building horizontal platforms without really understanding the domain specific context of industry use cases and stuff like that right the good news is all of that innovation drove to a level of um, maturity in bringing state of the art to the market right now i think the future is all about applying it to real hardcore business processes and getting values out of it so and and to your comment on you know you started the company late in your career uh, i think it's it's a huge blessing because you have a very good contextual understanding of the problems then most other people will will they just start from a technology standpoint so 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 why don't you start by telling us where in the world is ai today how do you see 
that applicability of AI in financial services. Give me some examples. Give me some stories. And what do you see? So if I look at uh, financial services, Ganesh, I think AI was seen as technology. So whenever you went to a CEO of a bank, he picked up the phone hey, head of technology, come here. I got, I got something for you. And it was delegated to head of technology. So it became a tech initiative, how to innovate and how to do things. And as you might imagine it, AI found an early home in the back office because that's where technology could have a lot of interventions. So things like KYC, things like AML, things like risk modeling, things like fraud detection, things like customer service. Those sort of dominated AI use cases for many years. And even today, I would say, use of AI in the front office was very rare because the tech guys don't understand the front office. <laughs> Almost nobody understands the front office except the front office. And the front office don't know technology. So, so it became very difficult. And it really needs people with experience and, more importantly, people who have dealt with those problems and carry the scars to be able to go in and say, okay, that's the problem we want to solve. Because uh, knowing which problem to solve is half of AI's success. I agree. I agree. In fact, um, you know, you, you mentioned that, like, I had uh, Subrat Bansal, who was the ex-chief data officer of UBS, and he was giving us this experience at UBS where they were trying, you know, to, to transform the front office, right? Which is like, you're, how do you actually provide new ideas for clients? And they quickly realized that there was this big barrier between, like, you can generate a lot of ideas for the, the, the middle office, back office folks, right? But there is the aspect of how do I work with your high network client, you know, give him, giving him the trust, even work with your salespeople on the front end who understands the context about the client, which was that was never captured by the AI or machine learning outputs, right? So he said that was the bigger barrier. And they went to a point where instead of actually trying to, you know, look at it as an automation end to end, how do you augment that front office person, give him enough context and confidence that these are the right things to do? And that was their uh, journey and experience from that perspective. So I can totally relate to what you're saying. Uh, so, so tell me about like, so investor AI, right? So Bridgeweave, you started Bridgeweave, um, and which is now, if I'm right, it's investor AI, um, or that is the main product. Why investments? And tell us about like, what is the, what is the macro things that made you drive right into, you know, let's go make investments easy and powered by AI. So, uh, so, so this is going to be a slightly long answer, so bear with me for a moment. Um, Bridgeweave, Bridgeweave was always about wealth and investments, and that is all we ever did. When we first started life, we wanted to deal with the, we wanted to empower the advisors, exactly like you said, UBS uh, view. And our view was that you cannot get to the customer in wealth management unless you go through the relationship manager or the advisor. And this is the permafrost layer in any front office. If you don't penetrate that permafrost, you're never going to get to do anything. Um, we then realized that the notion of permafrost was real, very, very real. It's very hard, you know, even if you're inside or outside. And then the lockdown happened. And during lockdown, we saw an incredible trend, an explosion in retail investing around the world. So US has added 10 million new accounts in 15 months. India, where we are 
very active, has added 18 million new accounts. UK has added 4 million new accounts. So, and these are first-time investors, Ganesh. So what, we, what, what I really began to see was a macro mega trend that I believe will completely transform wealth management. I think wealth management is now heading into a direction where, you know, it is a very, very different one. And, I've, you know, I have this, you know, we decided that Bridgeview really needs to focus on that and uh, be able to capitalize on that trend. Uh, what is this trend? The trend is first-time investors who are uh, a lot of first-time investors, but they are all digital investors. And what does a digital investor want to do? They want to make their own decisions. They don't want to go to advisors. They don't want to pay for advice. They want don't want somebody else running their portfolio. They want to do their own research. They want to be able to buy easily with, through Robinhood or Charles Schwab or something. And uh, it's a very, very different user. Uh, the old model of wealth management was, I pay you for something that you do for me. I think the world is now heading to a model that I call wealth enablement, where I pay you for the tools and services that you provide that allow me to do what I want. So in other words, to simplify this notion, uh, I believe wealth management is heading towards a DIY future, driven by the digital generation which is going to dominate the wealth demographic in the coming 20 years because their own income will grow, plus they will inherit roughly $25 trillion of wealth from their parents and grandparents. So these, the digital investor in 20 years could end up dominating the wealth management landscape. And that is such a big change, Anish. I don't believe any incumbent is fully ready for it because uh, they all they've all nailed their futures to the advisory uh, wealth management model the future is going to be non advisory self directed diy model which is very different sorry so long answer to your question but th that's what uh, that's what we are very excited about that's that's fascinating and i think you know covid as somebody said right you know transformations were all all across the board were accelerated by COVID-19, right? Thanks to the virus. But, you know, but there's a few things that you said. One, you said uh, new investors. So by definition, they're most likely their age group is the demographic is much younger than the traditional investor. So the needs of even even like things like research, what do I research on, right? I mean, the, 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 the practice of actually going back in history and backtesting models and so forth, is that going to be relevant to these people? Are they, you know, is the is the requirements of this new set of digital investors slightly different than the traditional investors? And I'm assuming the answer is yes, right? I mean, and what does AI got to do with all this? See, yes and no. Uh, so if I look at investor AI, we have what 17,000 users uh, on the app, and we have two dominant segments. One is under thirties. And the second is over 50s. And in between, you have children, you have mortgages, you have college fees, and things like that. So you tend not to have so much disposable cash. Um, the under 30s are hungry for knowledge. So I personally host a weekly webinar, and we get uh, a few hundred people um, you know, every week. And, uh, and, I really, and hearing them speak, the kind of questions they ask, has given me a very good understanding of what the users actually are talking about. The over 50s are people who have the money and the time. 
And, uh, you know, they're now finally getting into a little bit of research. Now, I think platforms like Robinhood, eToro, Free Trade, uh, Zeroda in India have made it very easy to buy. But what do you buy? You know, every, anybody, so if you don't know what to buy, you end up with Apple, Google, Facebook, and so on. Uh, but those are not the only stocks in the world. There are many hundreds of stocks which are good buying opportunities. And the use of AI is, uh, and that's where investor AI comes in. You don't have to backtest. You don't have to analyze anything. We do it all for you. We do 800 million calculations a day. And we show it to you and we personalize what you see. Now, let's talk a little, a moment for on personalization. You know, you've been a wealth management customer. They will come and do a risk profiling for you. They'll ask you 10, 15 dumb questions. At the end of it, they'll say, Ganesh, you're in a medium high risk profile and therefore this is appropriate for you. Now, okay, even if you answered the questions honestly, which I don't believe most customers do, um, you were medium risk profile on that day. A week later, you may have made a slug of money and your risk profile has changed. Two weeks later, you have lost some money and all of a sudden you're gun shy. So the risk profile is a dynamic concept. It changes every day. Wealth management takes no uh, cognizance of this matter. They say once a year on 14th of January, Ganesh was medium high. So for the, for the next 12 months, he is medium high. And then on 14th of January, the following year, you may well be medium. And then for the next 12 months, you will not change. It's such an outdated concept. You know, it's like, you know, I eat a sandwich for breakfast on Monday. I will do so for the next 12 months. No, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> so that is where AI comes in because you have to bring in a more dynamic experience, a more tailored experience, a more you know nuanced and crafted experience for what the user wants. And what one user wants is very different from what any other user wants. Got it. That's interesting. You know, uh, like one thing I can tell you about almost all the wealth managers or investment advisors I've had, I've fired them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's for a, good reason. For good reasons, right? I mean, you're you're exactly right because they try to. It's like classic. Uh, uh, you know, it's 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 affecting every industry, right? Wherein you everybody try to fit people. It's the industrialization mindset, right? You try to pe fit people or customers in certain buckets, and then that bucket is if you're like even you know half out of that bucket, you're still going to be squeezed into that bucket, and you're going to be given the service as if you belong to that bucket. To your point on medium risk investment profile, right? Uh, risk profile. So similarly, so AI brings in that level of dynamicity or the ability to dynamically look, even treat every customer as an individual with their own unique <laughs> declared characteristics. How, but you know, when you, when you go and activate this retail ecosystem, there is this, the others, the financial industry is probably, um, you know, it's, it's as an industry is also getting disrupted, but it's still, it's a, it's a big mafia of all your asset managers and hedge fund, hedge funds and stuff, right? They had the resources, the research teams to go do it. I mean, even Robinhood, their whole business model was about trying to make sure that anything that you add to order, they sell that to these hedge funds so they can make yeah. money, the pennies per dollar. How has AI can, can AI really level the playing field or are you still, you know, playing roulette with the house in Vegas? See, you know, it's a good question. you got to remember, when you're playing blackjack with the house or roulette with the house, it's a zero-sum game. If you win, house loses. House wins, you have to lose. There is only a finite pot. 
That is not the case with investments. You know, you can make money. I can make money. The whole market can grow. Uh, you know, you could have bought Tesla at $500 and felt, God, I paid a lot. But the damn thing went to $800. So, you know, the organic growth of the market makes it a non-zero-sum game. And, and that's why I think intelligent signals, timely uh, signals, and actionable signals are very, very important. When I host my webinars, I tell everybody, if you don't understand, understand a company, don't buy it, no matter what quality of the signal. You have to understand what you're buying. You have to feel comfortable with what you're buying. And then AI can be very helpful. So AI is not a substitute for your uh, judgment. It is, an, it, is, uh, it is an augmentation of your judgment. It makes, it makes you make better judgments. So the the, what we talk about is U plus AI. And, and that's the combination that produces magic. AI can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. But you come together and you can be really powerful. Is that always going to be that way? Or are we going to get to an automated future? Like, you know, ETFs, on the other hand, if you think, or, you know, even the, the, the wealth fund kind of investing is an algorithmic investing, right? Uh, can AI add the same, like bridge that to the personalization, the dynamicity that you want to have? And then do, will we see ourselves going into an automated investing future? Okay. So if I can nitpick a little, Wealthfront is not algorithmic investing. The algorithm is the risk management algorithm that classifies into a bucket. Once you go into a bucket, you have the same investments for everybody in that bucket. Now, if you have six buckets, what you're really saying is one-sixth of the world is identical, which we know is a ludicrous contention. Um, so, so I think the role of AI is very different. I don't think Wealthfront or anybody uses AI to actually manage the portfolio of investments. They use AI to sort of, you know, be better at putting you in one of the six buckets. So, so that's one. The the other thing, can you have a hundred percent automated future? No, you can't. I I don't believe that. Uh, at least not in my lifetime. We see we investor AI has been around for a while now, and we have seen that. Our algorithms are very accurate when we start, 70-80% accuracy. And then over time, they begin to decay. And the reason the accuracy decays is because market conditions change. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and some of the big market parameters start to shift. And unless you tune the algos constantly, okay, you, will, you will not get a very high quality output. So that's one of the things we've learned. In fact, we've now got algos that tune other algos. So we, the, the little algo, uh, you know, watches out in the market and it remembers, okay, it's three months or market volatility has moved beyond certain threshold and then it triggers the tuning of the big algo. So, you know, so it's like a tugboat taking a tanker out into the sea. Um, uh, you know, and, and that stuff comes through experience. Um, I think you know people talk about the uh, you know fancifully about the you know singularity and you know, self-aware AI. You know it's it's Hollywood nonsense. I don't think it's here. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, it, you know there was somebody who I was in Bangalore uh, and he said uh, recently just last week and this guy doesn't have a car and I asked him do you plan to get a car? He said no I will get when we have self-driving cars. You know self-driving cars in Bangalore. Yeah, wake me up when it happens. 
<laughs> Look, you know, of course it can happen, or maybe there is a future, but it's so far away that it has no practical relevance. That's that is so true. No, you're 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 so right, and and I I believe in that too. I mean, all of those things is Hollywood had a great role to actually even put AI in the forefront of the society. Everybody's working on it, interested with it, but yeah, half of the AGI nonsense is all spewed by Hollywood, right? And while it's a noble effort, the the that have being a moonshot will help develop a lot of core innovations that can be used more practically. I mean, that's the way we should always think about it. Uh, one yeah. question for you, like on the other side. So, let, you know, first off, before I go into the enterprise side of things or the financial companies, organization side of this thing, and I have some questions on how this impacts financial products and stuff. Very quickly, how can the viewers get their hands on the Investor AI app? Is it available in the U.S. right now? What do they have to do? Um, it is available. Go to the App Store, or if you have an Android device, go to the Play Store. Look for uh, Investor AI, one word, and uh, download and have fun. It is okay. really, really easy. Now, bear in mind, we have not dumbed down the investment side. So when you first look at it, and if you're very new to investing, you may wonder, how do, we, how do I really get going? Let's watch a couple of videos. You know, we've got lots of videos on the on, in the app, how to get started, how to use the app, how do the algos work, et cetera, et cetera. You know, watch them. Uh, spend a few minutes learning and, you know, it takes about half an hour to sort of uh, get really conversant and it's dead easy to get started. Got it. Got it. Awesome. So uh, that, and I'll, I'll add that to the show notes as well so everybody can, you know, get their hands on the on the links as well. So tell me about, the future of financial products. So when this whole, the, the, the investment, investment or wealth management movement is changing, people are going more from managed wealth to enabled wealth or wealth enablement. And, you know, we're a younger generation, people with more time, more digital access, more, you know, want, willingness to actually learn and experiment are getting more into the foray. How does that change the financial products landscape, right? I mean, go ahead. So, uh, let, let me explain. The wealth management, in my view, has historically been a product-centric business. So as a wealth manager, I my favorite customers are people who give me their portfolios to manage on a discretionary basis, pay me 100 basis points, and don't bother me you know, frequently. Yep. Okay, I, I make money off that. I don't have to spend a ton of time on customer service. And the customer is happy because he wants me to manage the portfolio. He's given it to me. Last thing he wants is more conversation. Yep. So, um, you know, so it's a win-win for both sides. On the other end of the spectrum is a self-directed customer who knows what to do, will never listen to advice, doesn't want a conversation, and just wants to me to conclude the transaction, charge me whatever I charge, charge him whatever I charge for it, and then never talk to me again. As a wealth manager, I make no money on these customers. And I don't like them. I like customers where I, they will, you know, they'll pay me for the products I give them. So that creates a very product-centric mindset. And yep. most of wealth management is product push. And think of your own experience. All the wealth managers you fired, they all got a bunch of products selling, you know, selling you products. The future is not product-centric. Future is customer-centric. Now, if you think about what I just described, the, the discretionary portfolio and a self-managed portfolio, what I like the most as a wealth manager, i.e. discretionary portfolio, is where the customer engagement is the lowest. 
where the customer engagement is the highest, where he's managing his own portfolio. I have nothing to say. So it's a, you know, it's a complete mismatch between the wealth manager and the customer. Where the customer is most engaged, i.e. his own portfolio decisions, the wealth manager has, has nothing to offer. And he has a lot to offer where the customer has the least amount of engagement. So in, the, the future is going to be based on engagement and, and you know, share of mind of the customer. If you want that, you have to deliver products and services that the customer is interested in, not what you're interested in. Okay, and what does that mean? If you're if Ganesh is making his own investment decisions, then I need to help him make better investment decisions. If I do that, you will pay me for it. If 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 you want to create your own portfolio, I should let you create your own portfolio in any manner you want, and I should not charge you a ton of money for it because you're doing all the work. So it's a very different thinking if you apply a customer-centric mindset. You still have products, of course, because how else will you uh, satisfy some needs? But which products, in what sequence, which products are more important, less important? That whole thinking changes if you apply a customer-centric view versus a product-centric view. Understood. Understood. No, it's actually a very, uh, very interesting um, um, insight there, right? Which is. What, what, what customers wanting more power and drive in their hands, it actually works better. For, uh, for, and and the, the, the entire industry has to evolve into more than just being a product-centric uh, company or, or a business to being more yeah. customer-centric business. Now, if there is also a play for co-creation of these products with customers, right? I saw on your website the follow the machine ETFs, right? Build your own ETFs, right? So talk about that. I mean, I, I see that not just in the financial services industry, but everywhere, right? Co-building yeah. customer uh, products with customers really engages them a lot more, and you're now really adding value to each other in the process. Yes, you're absolutely right. What you see on our website is just a couple of follow the machine portfolios. These are live in India, by the way, and we're going to be just launching a bunch of international portfolios. So we'll have 10, 15 portfolios that are available. Now, follow the machine is an incredible concept. It came from customers. So they came to us and said, look, Investor AI gives us wonderful signals, but it takes a long time for us to buy, build a portfolio of 10, 15 ideas. If you have good ideas, could you take your best ideas and package them in a portfolio? And uh, we said, fine. And uh, so that's what Follow the Machine is. It takes the best ideas from Investor AI. It packages them into a very simple 10, 15 stock portfolio. I don't believe customers can focus on more than 20 stocks. So I can give you 100 stocks like an ETF or a fund, but you know, you're lost in that. You have, everything is 0.7%. It makes, you know, it's very hard to follow. So we make this portfolio available to you. We don't charge you anything for it except a monthly subscription fee. Uh, of uh, you know 10 15 pounds uh, whether you invest 100 pounds or 100000 pounds or a million dollars we don't charge you any difference it's just a simple subscription entry fee uh, every month we rebalance the port machine will rebalance the portfolio we will send you a notification you come to the website one click and your portfolio is rebalanced because it's connected to your broker so it's a it's, it's a very profound concept now think about it for a moment there are no advisory fees because we're not giving you any advice. Mm -hmm. Okay. There are no management fees because we are not managing the portfolio. You are buying the portfolio in your own account. 
at a time of your own choosing. So there's no management fees. So it is simultaneously, simultaneously disruptive to an asset manager as it is to a wealth manager. Therefore, none, none of them like this product. Yeah. But I think this is the future. I am allowing you to create your own ETF. And ETFs, you can say, have only 20 basis points. But I'm not even charging you those 20 basis points. You could run a million bucks for 15 pounds a month. So, you know, it really allows the user to do what they want in a way that we want, very powerfully assisted by the machine, but not controlled by the machine, controlled by, by the user. And, you know, this is the notion of organic um, self-discovery, uh, organic ma self-management, self-direction, uh, autonomy, freedom, low cost. That's where the future is headed. So if I if I was a, if I was running the Barclays business today, I'd be very worried. <laughs> so let me let me ask you the question. And you know, if you're an asset manager listening to this, you're the CEO of you know, say Ashok is listening to this, or you know, so right. people on the investment the the IB side, but also asset managers on the financial industry, right? They're seeing this disruption happening. The the Reddit subgroup and Wall Street bets were a wake up call. You know, obviously, you know, it's debatable who won that initial battle, but you can see that. I mean, like you described, the the customers are changing, and the whole notion of wealth management and asset management by default is changing, right? What's your advice to them? How should they look at these disruptive forces and prepare for a better future? You know, I, I, my advice to them has always been: you have to embrace these things. Okay. You, your investment management expertise, which is what allows you to charge the premium, will always be there. And there is a bunch of people who will want your expertise and will pay for that expertise. So that's not going to disappear. But there is a second alternate universe that is developing. And that does not value your expertise. That simply values the, your ability to let the user do what they want. You have to have both strings to your bow. You cannot deny one for the other because neither side is going away. And if you look at it, take the UK market, because I don't have numbers in it for US. In UK, there are 17.4 million active investors. Roughly 24% of them are wealth management customers who get advice. 76% do not want advice. So the non-advisory universe market, the addressable market, is at least three times the wealth management market. And you, Mr. Asset Manager, have been ignoring that all this while. Get over it and change. Yep, yep. This is the, I mean, I think back when, like, uh, I remember when we first interacted, you were concerned when you were still running Barclays Wealth, you were concerned about the rise of the mass affluent, right? I mean, the whole yes. notion of how do I enable my wealth managers to service more than just like the, the 20, 30 customers they service. I want them to do hundreds, right? Um, which is which was another trend. Now that has just accelerated over time. It's not just the mass affluent, but it's just the, the rest of the market that has not been served, as you're saying, right? Now with the whole digital transformation, the ability, the, 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 the ability to access information and access easier tools to make trades and so forth, it has just completely exploded the market. Well, that's good advice. So don't embrace this. Don't ignore it. Don't try to actually just, I mean, you got to start taking risks on beyond your core market and so forth, right? Now talk about, there's a whole other alternative universe evolving with decentralization, crypto, NFTs, new asset classes. And so I know you're also 
a big art collector, in, uh, as I remember. So talk to the disruption to the industry because of that. And then how, again, how should we think about it? How should the enterprise think about it? See, I have a different view on cryptocurrencies. I think there will never be a currency because as a national currency, you can never, you can, what if the US dollar had 70% up, 70% down on week to week? You cannot run a country like that. You know, your balance of payments will go crazy if you do that. So I don't think they're legitimate currencies in that sense. Now, there is a lot of conversation about CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, and maybe yeah. there is a way to come up with this thing. I am not sufficiently expert to tell you how that will happen. But what I do know, that the demand and supply and the velocity of that demand and supply in the crypto market is so great that all the quant models that work for equities work for crypto. And we are working on an investor AI crypto version where we will be able to use the same algorithms or similar algorithms to produce intelligent quant signals on crypto movements uh, as we have been uh, doing for equity movements. Now, you know, because in equities, there are fundamentals and there are technicals. In crypto, the fundamentals are not there because there's nothing, no underlying economic uh, thing. But there are definitely lots of technicals. And the volume is so large that uh, statistically, um, your your conclusions and predictions will hold water. And and it's also a quicker feedback loop because of the velocity of the market, right? You don't have to wait. It's in seconds and minutes. So <laughs> you're right because, you know, we have an algo called Alpha 330, which predicts stocks that can deliver you 3% return in 30 days. In crypto, we found the max we could go was six minutes. <laughs> you know, because after six minutes, the prediction accuracy just drops. So, so you're right. Absolutely right. That is awesome. Well, actually, bring it home for me into AI, right? I mean, you've been, you know, you've tried to put AI to work in this massive industry within. I mean, you're putting it to work and stuff. What has been your lessons, learnings, and what's your advice to organizations embracing artificial intelligence as a way to transform and accelerate their business? Yeah. Look, I'm not a guru here, but I will give you some practical advice. Uh, there is an incredible amount of spin in this industry. Okay, there are people who, uh, you know, I'm intelligent people who know a lot, will talk a great, good game, but there's nothing behind it, you know, and that hasn't changed, okay, very, which is very unfortunate because I think it gives a bad name to the technology, which is undeserved. Um, that's one. Second thing I would say is that be ultra sharp and clear about what is the problem you want to solve. Because if you're not clear about that, then your results and, and therefore outcome will be somewhat loose and you won't be able to really measure it and see if it's a success or not. So you have to be very clear about the problem you're solving. And that problem statement has to come from the user. It cannot come from technology. And it cannot come from the spin artists who I see all over the place. And the third advice I would give is you know, listen, listen to vendors, listen to experts, listen to other people in the field, listen to the mistakes they have made. Because this is a, an evolving field, but a very fast evolving field. And whatever you see today, things are going to change. So if you're not in the market, and it's very easy to take an internal view 
of AI and get uh, very fixated on internal problems and project management and deliverables, milestones, those kind of things. But outside in the world, technology is changing. I mean, I'm on the board of a robo-advisory company here. And, uh, you know, we use funds at the moment. We should be using ETFs, which we will. But now ETFs are also giving way to direct indexing. And there's so much, and this is not even technology. This is just investments. And direct indexing is not possible without good use of AI. So there is so much change happening in the world that uh, you have to stay plugged in into the market. So if you're into AI and you're not external facing in some manner, you're missing a trick. Awesome. Oh, that's very, very practical, very good piece of advice. In fact, you know, what I'm also realized, the, the whole reason for starting stories with AI, and I was mentioning this to you, was the, this lack of practical advice on like people who have tried it and learned from that experience. Because there's a lot of noise in the system, as you said, right? There's yeah. a lot of spin artists, a lot of noise. Uh, and But there's also, uh, interestingly, a lot of potential because I fundamentally believe the last decade has been we have accelerated the, the technology landscape so much. Like, I, you know, I, I, I was talking to some friends yesterday and he was telling me about the ability that the, the, the state of the art right now in computer vision and natural language processing is so advanced that you can do a lot of things. I mean, OpenAI, uh, uh, the GPT-3 as an innovation, can happen anywhere. And obviously you need to have the financial resources to crawl the internet and go do this. But the the core technology of the state of the art capabilities there is now available for everybody. The missing gap that I found and what everybody like you tell me is the lack of application the right way, picking the right problems to solve with those core capabilities and then solving it the right way. Just And, it, and I do fundamentally believe, like you said, we are still very early in the game with AI, there is so much transformations that's going to happen beyond this. So this has been fascinating. Thank you for that thing. Now, I got some standard practical you know, questions that I ask every guest of mine. So I'm going to ask you that. You already answered one question, but what's your thoughts on AGI, artificial general intelligence? Are we going to see it in our lifetime? Um, do you worry about it? I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime, but I'm 64 years old. So, uh, you know, I, 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 honestly, no. You know, I, I think it's just a notion that, um, you know, people use to promote AI and make it sound very interesting and cool and all that. But, you know, I, I have built practical products with it. The whole notion of AGI makes me laugh at the moment. At the moment. I mean, maybe in 10 years it'll be different. But anybody who tells you that they're going to get it in financial services, yeah, wake me up when it happens. Yeah, it's the it's the amygdala complex, right? Everybody loves to spew fear, so that gets more yeah. of the noise in markets and so forth. Uh, second question, if somebody wants to start an AI today in financial services specifically, and they've been in the industry for a while, they're not a technical person, how do they get participate in this revolution? How do, how do they get started? You know, I would just repeat what I said earlier. If you have been in the industry for a while, you are extraordinarily well positioned. You understand the problems. Now, financial services, you know, it's called financial services, thought of as one industry. It's not. A bank is not the same as a credit card company. A credit card company is not the same as PayPal. And PayPal is not the same as an investment bank, which is not the same as an asset manager, which is completely different from an insurer, which is completely different from, um, you know, other forms of financial services, lending and so on. So 
you know, financial services is a vast universe. Nobody knows all of it. But if you worked in the industry for a while, there is one sliver that you understand incredibly. Understanding that sliver means you understand the problems. What, and you know, I would urge you to think, if you want to start something, that think about what is the problem that you would have liked solved when you were working in financial services. And if you think you can do it, go for it. That's awesome. That is awesome. Personal question. What is one personal practice that you employ that you attribute to your, to your success, your health, wealth, whatever? Um, what's a personal practice? You know, uh, I, I, I love listening to people. And for me, it doesn't matter whether they're experienced or not experienced. I think everybody has a point of view. As long as they have a basic native intelligence. Um, I'll give you an example. Most recently, people told me about Investor AI. You know, it's hard to learn. and You know, navigation is a little difficult. And I, and, I, and I said to myself, I need to talk to somebody who is of the generation that our users are. So we found a 22-year-old guy, incredibly bright, incredibly intelligent. And he kind of went through the app and said, I don't like this. I don't like that. It's too cluttered. You know, here I have to scroll up to understand what it is. That, you know, he listed out some 40 problems. So at the end of it, I asked him, is there anything you like? He said, no, no, it's a beautiful product. It's just that some parts are hard. So I, I told him, I said, uh, look, will you come and work for us and help us fix this? And he says, I will help you fix this, but I don't want to work for you. I don't believe in employment. I believe it's a retrograde notion. No, 22-year-old saying that. Wow. And, uh, and he said, I will work for you for free. And I said, no, that's not fair. We will pay you. So we are paying him. And now he has helped us redesign many parts of Investor. That's amazing. So, you know, you have to be ready to listen. But you also have to be ready to exercise your judgment because then, you know, very quickly you know the guy is talking bullshit. Or very quickly you know that uh, this can be done, you know, and, and we should do this. So... Keep an open mind, especially if you're running a startup, because the world is changing so much every day. Awesome. Akshaya, this is a blast. How can the viewers and listeners get in touch with you? Where can they find you on the internet? Well, they can write to me on bridgeweave, uh, com. You can find me on LinkedIn. If you just send me a random meeting request, then I will most likely say no, because I don't accept uh, invitations from people uh, I don't know. Uh, but if you say that you heard uh, the, my podcast at Stories in AI, then chances are I will say yes. And <laughs> that is so kind of you. No, thank you so much. Actually, yeah, this was a blast. I will let you know what the logistics of posting this, but I learned thank so you. much personally, and I think uh, the viewers and listeners will also learn a lot in this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Ganesh. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. You know so much about the industry in your, and you're so modest that uh, you, you say you don't know. Actually, you know more than most people I've come across. Oh, thank you. It's kind of you to say that. <laughs> no, thanks again. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, I encourage you to do three things. Number one, share with your friends and family. If someone else can learn from this, get inspired and take action, they need to. Number two, subscribe so you do not miss a single episode. You can do it at your favorite podcast location or at youtube.com. Number three, let me know if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for me or my guests. 
and check out storiesinai.com to access show notes and more resources. Thank you for listening. See you next time.